to Fresh Image. Fresh Image is a nonprofit Catholic ministry committed to providing individuals and communities with resources to facilitate the full flourishing of the image of God in each and every single human person. Not only will you find hundreds of articles, convenient audios and presentations on our beautiful faith, but also catechetical resources to be used in the classroom, at the parish, and at the kitchen table. Today, we are happy to present Fresh Image Gospel Reflections from our founder, Tony Crescio. Tony reminds us that it is when we look into the mirror of Scripture that we discover the unique image of God we have each been created to be. My dear friends in Christ, this Sunday we find ourselves once again in the classroom of the true teacher, Jesus Christ, as he continues his lessons concerning the kingdom of God, giving us at once a deeper understanding of the reality we live in and the end towards which we set our feet in this earthly pilgrimage. Last weekend, we were treated to the parable of the sower, and therein we examined both the person of the sower and the various types of ground upon which he had sown his seeds. We noted an intricate complexity, hidden both within the identity of the sower, understood simultaneously as God and the church as the body of Christ, and his relationship to the ground he cultivates to render fruitful. In the end, the takeaway for us was an emphasis on humility and meekness. These virtues allowed the divine sower to till the soil deeply, clearing it of all that would hinder his word from flourishing within us, and thereby making a most productive soil of us. In our gospel reading for this weekend from the 13th chapter of Matthew's gospel, Jesus, the divine teacher, gives us three additional analogical representations of what the kingdom of God is, both now and in its future state. Jesus himself describes the parables he teaches us today by using analogical language, which is seen in the phrase, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to. Once again, it is worth noting that, as the very language used to introduce these analogies demonstrates, None of these parabolic images is sufficient in and of itself to convey a complete understanding of its subject matter, in this case, the kingdom of God. What's more, even if we could somehow construct within our imaginations a composite of all the images described to us, it would still not give us a perfect understanding of what the kingdom of God is. The reason for this is as simple as it is complicated, and that is that the kingdom of God is ultimately a mystery. That said, though our understanding being complete, it remains sure and true, as these revelatory parables are taught to us by him who is the way, the truth, and the life. Therefore, we can understand these various parables as different angles of perceiving one object, as though we were examining a statue from one side and then another. From one angle, we would see certain details, included by the artist, that remain invisible the moment we transition to the next, and so on. The important point here is that each individual angle gives us a deeper understanding of the work and therefore of the artist who created it. So it is with the three parables Jesus teaches us today. Each parable enables us an additional perspective on the masterful work of divine art that is creation, while simultaneously revealing to us something about God, the divine artist. If we were to categorize the three parables we hear today according to theme, we might say that the first had to do with the existential quality of the kingdom of God, that is, the manner in which it exists here and now. The second we might see as dealing with the telos, or the completion of the kingdom of God. 
and the third we might consider as dealing with the purpose or mission of the kingdom of God. The third parable entails how the kingdom ought to go about reaching the end described in the second parable from its current condition as presented in the first parable. Of course, this is not a definite rubric for the reading of these three parables, but they are perhaps more easily understood as a sequential set. Turning then to the first parable, we hear an account very similar to that which we heard last week. However, the mechanics are quite different. Additionally, like the parable of the sower from last week, there are several layers of meaning to peel back on the imagery. And once again, the beauty is in the details. Our Lord begins by saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Once again, as in last weekend's parable, the image of the sower is most readily likened to the Creator. This analogy provides us with an opportunity to demonstrate precisely why these parables ought to be read as analogies. The reason is that while they capture some truth, they are not meant to present its entirety. In this case, the sower is quite obviously working with pre-existing material, the seed and the land. If we were to take this image straightforwardly, it would suggest that God created the universe from existing matter, as the Gnostics once did. However, Christianity's understanding is that God created all things ex nihilo, that is, from nothing. For example, in verses 6 and 9 of Psalm 33, the psalmist says, By the Lord's word the heavens were made, by the breath of his mouth all their host. For he spoke, and it came to be, commanded, and it stood in place. The understanding that everything aside from God was created by God from nothing was present in the mind of the church from her earliest days. For example, we see this in the second century work of St. Irenaeus. Refuting the Gnostics in book two of his famous work against heresies, Irenaeus wrote, God, according to his pleasure, in the exercise of his own will and power, formed all things, so that those things which now are should have existence, out of what did not previously exist. Thus, the image of God as divine sower must always be read in light of God as creator. The analogous image of the divine sower describes God as caring for and providentially guiding what he has created, as a farmer sets out to produce a bountiful crop from barren field, an image which we will say more about later. Returning once again to our first parable for today, we note that this image of God as divine planter or gardener aligns with the description of God's activity in Genesis 2 and 3, where we find the second account of creation and the fall. It's almost as if Jesus is telling us the same story using different images. What's more, the mechanics are very similar. God creates this beautiful garden, and because all is produced by him who is goodness itself, Everything created is likewise good. Notice that good is the same modifier used to describe the seed here. This has something to tell us both of creation at large and more particularly of the human family, who as St. Anthony of Egypt says in St. Athanasius' life of St. Anthony, were made beautiful and perfectly straight. But, while created good, as this parable teaches, the human family, and indeed all creation, becomes distorted when the enemy of the sower comes and sows weeds among the wheat and goes away. There are two things to comment on here. The first is that it is of the utmost importance that we remember the analogous quality of the parable. For the image of the enemy sowing bad seed should not suggest to us that evil, or in this case the evil one, can create anything, especially evil people. 
One of the temptations we seem to be experiencing today as a church is the tendency to give the enemy too much power, elevating him almost to a rival position to God. But this is a mistake. The enemy does not have power or influence that is in any way comparable to God. The enemy may as well be an ant in comparison to the Almighty. So great is the difference. We see one of the main differences here. The influence of the enemy and any evil that results from his temptation is always a deprivation of the good things created by God. Evil has no positive existence. Its only existence is the distortion of what is good. Therefore, the only sowing the enemy is capable of is sowing discord and division where there was once beautiful harmony. The division that sometimes results from the temptation to sin separates us from God and thereby diminishes our being. The second thing to notice is that the enemy, after causing chaos in the beautiful order created by God, just as we read in the Genesis account, goes away. For not only is he our enemy now, but he has been so from the very beginning. In great contrast to the loving God who never abandons the creatures he creates, the enemy has no desire to accompany us along this pilgrimage of life, nurturing us to full maturity. He simply desires company in his misery. Having affected his own destruction by his rejection of loving communion with God, he wants others to experience the same. Continuing with the parable, Jesus then says, So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. Here we are immediately reminded of words Jesus speaks to us elsewhere. Thus you will know them by their fruits. We can therefore say that our Lord wishes to suggest to us a similar truth here, that our works, the things we do, say, and even think, tell us and those around us something about who we are. Now, of course, we cannot know the thoughts of anyone else. And thus, while we may know something of who they have allowed themselves to become, for good or ill, by what they do, they will ultimately remain a mystery to us. The spiritual truth, along with the mystery of who may be converted to Christ in the future, becomes apparent when the servants ask the sower, Then do you want us to go and gather them, that is, the weeds? To this the sower replies, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. We may glean a couple additional key insights from this exchange. The first is that, currently, the church is what Augustine called corpus per mixtum, or a mixed body. What he meant by the term was that here and now, as it makes its way through history, the church, and by extension the whole human family, contains members who work for good and for ill, whether consciously or not. However, as we see in the parable, it will not always be so, for one day the good will be separated from the evil according to the all-knowing eye of the sower, who alone knows the quality of the plants he harvests. There is, however, another reason that the sower does not want the weeds pulled out before harvest time. These are no ordinary plants. Remember, we are working with an analogy of human creatures, creatures subject to change, an inherent quality of having been created out of nothing. St. Gregory of Nyssa suggests that our ability to change is in fact the finest quality of the human creature in his work on perfection, because it entails, he says, the possibility of growth in good. Such an understanding is likewise present in the thought of St. Augustine, who in commenting on this very parable, teaches us that when it comes to the good dealing with the bad, the good ought to tolerate the bad. 
Let the bad change themselves and imitate the good, he says in Sermon 73. He then continues, Let us all, if it may be so, attain to God. Let us all, through his mercy, escape the evil of this world. This reading of the tradition leads to another insight. The human family is not divided into good and evil people. This is a grave mistake very often made in the public forum, especially in political commentary where individuals are often spoken of as evil. It is imperative to remember that all are created good and that all retain some level of goodness and dignity as individuals created in God's image, a nature that is always capable of conversion to relationship with God, the purpose for which they were created. This is perhaps best exemplified by the good thief on the cross next to Christ. Moreover, it is of the utmost importance that we keep in mind that none of us are perfect this side of eternity, and all are in need of constant conversion to the good. To be sure, to say this in no way suggests that some are not further along the journey towards full communion with God than others. But at the same time, those who are further along must not rid themselves of those who have lost their way. Instead, they ought to imitate Christ and patiently deal with us who lag behind charitably, so that one day all may be one in accordance with the desire of our Lord. What's more, those who are further along ought never to consider themselves as having advanced under the strength of their own will. Rather, they must remember the mercy which has graced them with the power of purifying their love, in order that they may imitate the only begotten Son of God, who deigned out of love to be identified as one with his wayward creatures, at once elevating their status from mere creature to brethren, sons and daughters of God. With all this in mind, we now turn briefly to the latter two parables. The first is the parable of the mustard seed. Here again we find the image of the sower, who plants a mustard seed in his field. The image of the mustard seed is, of course, intentional. It is chosen because of the radical transformation it undergoes, for as Jesus says, It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs, and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. In these words we hear that God has planted the church in the world in order that all may take shelter within her loving embrace, and in her arms feel the love of Him who is her head, Jesus Christ. Moreover, we see the theme of unity alluded to above is echoed here. Traditionally, the birds have been interpreted as the Gentile people, who would one day come to be incorporated into the people of God. We might therefore think of this image as a graphic representation of the desire expressed by Christ in John 17 verse 21, that all might be one, as the Father and the Son are one. The final parable is the parable of leaven, where Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till it was all leavened. The thing to note here is the disproportion of the leaven to the meal. Jesus is teaching us, that though seemingly outsized, the kingdom of God will one day make its presence felt to all, for good or ill. What's more, we ought to bear in mind how it is that leaven works. Leaven works from within the dough, not apart from it. This parable then reiterates and emphasizes the need for those who strive to live holy lives in imitation of Christ to also imitate his compassion and tolerance for those lagging behind. As members of the body of Christ, Christians must work for the conversion of the world within the world, or as the church has traditionally said, be in the world, but not of the world. 
My friends, through these parables, Jesus makes known to us the beauty of both creation and recreation. That is the redemption of all the Father once spoke into existence through him. Within these images, we see both the great potential which lies inside of every human person and the humility of the only begotten Son, who desired that this potential not be squandered, but might have the opportunity to fully flourish. And yet there is more. Perhaps the most life-giving message we hear spoken of this week underlies each of the parables and finds clear expression in our first reading from the Book of Wisdom. Therein we hear of God's power and caring mercy alike, a foreshadowing of the Incarnate Son. And just previous to the selection we hear from the pews today, there is this little detail. Therefore, you correct little by little those who trespass, and you remind and warn them of the things through which they sin, so that they may be freed from wickedness and put their trust in you, O Lord. These words describe the long-suffering of our God, who out of nothing except sheer love works and waits patiently for the conversion of his wayward children, instructing them little by little in the hopes that one day they might see that all has been created out of love for them. This patient love is precisely the power that upholds all things in existence, desiring nothing for it except complete and utter happiness in the kingdom of beauty. Thank you for listening to this week's Gospel Reflection. For more resources, please visit us at freshimage.org. And remember, when you live a fresh life, you will be a breath of God's fresh, life-giving air to the world.